part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. It wasn't too long ago we were uh, in the mountains and, and there was a little bakery and they were looking for help. They were looking for somebody to uh, had a job available. And I love their, their sign. It said, help wanted. And then underneath that, must have a clue. And I thought, you know, man, if there's anything that is ever relevant for the day and the time that we live in, man, they got it. You know, didn't describe what the job was, didn't, you know, anything else. Just, you know, if you're going to apply, if you're going to come in and you want this job, yeah, you got to kind of have a clue. Have you ever worked with somebody that didn't have a clue? Yeah. You know, and, and it's one of those things that um, there's a meme that goes out on the Internet. Sometimes it's on Facebook, Facebook or Instagram, Pinterest or something like that. And basically it's, hey, you only had one job. Have you ever seen some of those memes? And you're going, okay, this was not really complex. This was not really hard. You just had one job. And, and could you do this? Kind of like this person. You know, it's like, okay, look, you just... Fred, you just had one job, S-T-O-P, okay? That's all you had to do, and somehow they, they mangle that. Go on to the next one. You kind of see what's wrong with that? Yeah, I'm just, uh, you know, somebody going, okay, that probably was not in the engineering plans. I don't think that's how the architects probably did it, but, you know, at the, can you imagine the foreman coming back after this has been installed and say, uh, Fred, what were you thinking? What happened here? Go on to the next one. How many of you can really see that maybe happening around here? You know, in the day and the time that we live, here you, got, you have one job, okay? Just go down the road. But there was a tree, you know? Uh, what's the next one? Do, do you see kind of what's wrong there? Emergency fuel shut off, push button. And yet the master lock on the bottom, do you, do you see that? Yeah, not probably what you should have. Probably not by spec. I'd love this one. I could have picked a whole bunch. In fact, if you just want a real entertaining afternoon, go and, and just uh, put, type in cake fails. And you will see a thousand of those, you know, of where they just didn't use their mind. This last one, I'm going to let you figure it out. Anybody have a clue? Yeah. The, the little peephole is on the bottom, you know. I, it took me just a minute, and then I go, oh, my goodness, you know. But have you ever worked with those people? Have you ever been that person? <laughs> you know, that, that maybe somebody looked at you and said, look, you just had one job. How difficult was it to just put happy birthday with some blue flowers without putting with blue flowers at the bottom? Now, how difficult was it for you to kind of think and react? Well, that's kind of how we feel a little bit as we read Jonah. I mean, in one way, Jonah, you just had one job. All the way back in chapter 1, verse 2, it was very clear. We said this wasn't a word from God that had to be deciphered. You didn't have to have spiritual intellect. You didn't have to go, you know, there's a mystery here, and I think I need to solve it. No, let's go back. Jonah 1, 2, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. That's all that God said. Okay, Joni, you're a prophet. You should know this. Your whole job as a prophet is simply to be a messenger of the message to the people that I send you to. And so he gives them this one job, and yet we see a rebellion. We see that he refused to obey, not because he was really scared, even though 
Nineveh was, we said these were a fierce, these were evil people. They were more cruel than anything that you could imagine. And this is not the place that he really wanted to go. Again, if we kind of did the maps, if we did an overlay of the present map of present day and the old map, where we would find Nineveh was modern day Iraq and Assyria and the Assyrians. And so it's almost, if we just really wanted to contemporize this, we'd say, okay, Bobby, you go to ISIS. You get in the heart of ISIS and and these people that maybe have been very violent. And so you can understand that there would be a certain fright level if you're going to go and you're going to go speak out against somebody. You have a message that is one just pretty much clearing, look, you have no hope without God. You've sinned and you rebel. That's really not the message that a lot of people would go take to an evil kind of people that maybe could have retribution on them. That's kind of where Jonah is. And yet Jonah himself doesn't say, well, you know, I was just kind of scared. I was just a little bit frightened. These are an evil people, a violent people, and I didn't know what they were to do. Now we looked ahead to what we'll be covering next week in chapter 4, and Jonah says, look, here's why I ran. I ran because I know what kind of God you are. And even in that slim chance that these rebellious very violent people would hear your message and repent and turn to you and actually call out to you for forgiveness. I know what kind of God you are, and you will forgive them. And they don't deserve that. He said, I just don't agree. And so he's kind of went on this destructive rant and, and kind of running away from God. And yet, we still have that frustration when we see Jonah. Jonah, you just had one child. Sometimes there's people in our lives. And sometimes, guys, we can be pretty simplistic when we think it's an easy job. You know, son, you, son, you just had one job. You just had to go to school. You know, they, they would promote you. you. You could have, you know, you just had one job. I've counseled people before, and in counseling, sometimes you go, Look, you just had one job this week. Buddy, go love your wife. Love your wife. You just have one job. And it's frustrating. It's so easy to become judgmental. It's so easy to kind of point fingers until you realize that that's me. As I stand before a holy and a perfect God, that is me. You know, we go all the way back to Genesis chapter 2 and 3. And as I told you almost the first week that I was here, hey guys, in almost every second or third sermon, you're going to hear me make reference to Genesis chapter 2 and 3. And I think I've been pretty faithful to that in the last year and a half. That almost every other week, we go back to Genesis 2 and 3. Why? Because this is the foundation to really understand the predicament that we are now in and to understand all about God. We go back to that very beginning. Because think about it, guys. Adam and Eve, they just had one job. Here's a million trees you can eat as much as you want. You can go climb them. You can sit under the shade. Here's one tree. Here's just one tree. Don't eat of that tree. They just had one job. And yet, when the deceiver came, said, well, yeah, that one tree, you know why God wanted you to stay away from that one tree. That's the most beautiful tree. Look at the fruit of that tree. And if you eat of that fruit, you're going to be kind of become like God. You just had one job. All it took. I mean, can you imagine God from heaven? Adam, you just had one job. I put you 
in responsibility of, of your wife. I put you in responsibility to, to teach her spiritual truth. And, and, and you allowed her. That's why it's Adam's sin, not just Eve. Eve's the one over there. But Adam has responsibility. He's right there. If you go back and read the story, he's right there. Adam, you had just one job. And yet he blew it. So easy to come to a place where we would be so critical of that, so judgmental of that. And that's kind of where we are with uh, Jonah. And let me take you back through Jonah 1, cha- uh, Jonah chapter 1 and 2. Uh, get us caught up in case you've been out. I know during the summer we're in and out with vacations. Uh, he refuses to go to Nineveh. He goes in the other way. He disagrees with God. He gets thrown overboard. God raises up a storm. It's God's storm. Remember we said that God, because he pursues us, because he loves us, that when we're in sin, that don't be surprised if God taps you on the shoulder. And we said if, if we don't listen to that tap and kind of you know, reflect and come back and be responsible to God, that sometimes he'll thump. He'll go from the tap to the thump. And that there are times in our lives that in our rebellion that the tap didn't work, the thump didn't work. And so what does God do? He takes your shoulders and he turns you around. He never forces us to be obedient, but he sure can get your attention. And he got Jonah's attention. This massive storm comes up, storm comes up that even the Phoenician sailors, I mean the sailors among sailors, get scared. They start throwing the cargo overboard. They start fearing for their lives. And they go, why is this? And even they who do not believe in God begin to discern, hey, there's something special about this storm. And they go down to the belly of that ship. And they find Jonah fast asleep. And they said, you know, what, what's going on here? And, and he kind of confesses. And they don't want to throw him overboard, but he says, throw me overboard. He kind of has this almost this attitude, I deserve this. He gets thrown overboard, and you think, that could be the end of the story. And really, that should be the end of the story. And we're just in chapter 1. And our hope through going through Jonah is that there's a lot of people that are in chapter 1 right now, and you're going, okay, this is pretty much how my marriage is going to end, and this is how my family's going to end, this is how my job's going to end, because here's where I am, and this is what I deserve, and, and God's just going to leave me here in the midst of my rebellion and, and my sin. Very last verse we see there. But God had pointed a big fish. Jonah is not trying to come back to God. He's sinking down. Remember chapter 2? It started to describe that he's going down. He starts at the surface. Then he gets into the, the seaweed. Then he goes all the way down to what it says, kind of the very root of the mountains. He gets to the bottom of the sea. And God appoints a fish and he swallows up Jonah. Jonah is in that belly of that fish for three days, three nights. A a precursor, a look into what Christ was going to do that Christ himself would quote in Mark and in Luke. He said, look, you you understand what happened to Jonah? You begin to understand what's going to happen to me. Here's a picture in the Old Testament that really happened. It wasn't a parable, but this is a picture of what's going to happen to me when I go into the grave for three days and I will rise again. Interesting that out of four times that Jesus mentions a new, an Old Testament prophet two of those times. It's Jonah. It's significant. In the last week, we found that uh, not only does God bring us to a place where there is that uh, time for repentance, but, but he's very kind and gracious many times in the way that he does it. As we ended last week, we saw that last verse that, um, that the big fish is appointed by God to swallow up Jonah. Three days later, that same fish is now told by God, you go spit Jonah up on dry land. And we all agreed, or at least I agreed for you last week, 
that if you were God and if I was God, we're going, you know, get him close enough to land where he can see land, but make him swim a little bit. You know, 100 yards, 50 yards, just, you know, put him out there just far enough where you can say, okay, have you learned your lesson? But here's why we see that complete grace. Folks, when it comes down to our salvation, God does not provide Jesus to do 99.9%. And so, okay, you finish it. But he said, okay, it is, when Jesus said, it is done, it is finished. All that was needed for your salvation was finished in his work. Now, there is responsibility of man. doesn't mean that everybody's going to go to heaven. Some people would look at that and they'd go, you know, that means everybody's going to go to heaven. No, God has now given us responsibility, as we will see here today. That God, in his grace, you know, he comes to us, he pursues us when we should not have even had a second chance. But God comes pursuing after us. And yet there is that moment in time when we have to make a decision. Okay, will we trust what God has provided? You know, basically, that's what we hope to teach our children this week at Vacation Bible School. I don't know if you've noticed, but there's five banners up here, and, and it tells the story of the gospel. Because this is the story of the Bible. Story in Jonah, it's the story of the New Testament, it's the story of Genesis to Revelation. That relationship began. Do you kind of notice that that's a man? You kind of get that? Okay, God breathed into dust and brought about Adam and Eve. And yet we see their rebellion. See a tree there? The relationship was broken. God did not force that to happen. No, in their own will, that free will that God gave them, they rebel against a holy God. They go their own way, just as Jonah did. Nobody forced Jonah to head to the other side of the world, to to modern-day Spain. Nobody forced him to do that. By his own rebellion, by his own omission, I didn't agree with you, God. And we see the restoration promised. Anybody know what that is? The manger. It took me a little while to kind of figure that one out. Okay, yeah, that's the manger. That even in the Old Testament, even here in Jonah, we see this promise that even though we are the ones that broke this, that that God's going to restore, that he's promised one that will restore it. And then that all happened through the work of the cross. The relationship was restored by that finished work of Christ. And now we get to live in relationship with Christ. That is our hope to share with every kid that comes this week. Every adult, every mom and dad that drops off, little Sally and little Johnny, we hope that we can share this redeeming eternal story that this is the gospel. This is the hope. But guys, we see this in Jonah. I mean, maybe not word for word, but basically this is the hope that we see here. Jonah chapter 3, verse 1. I often say, hey, this is one of the saddest verses of the whole Bible because we see rebellion, we see different things like this. This morning I could say, hey, here is one of the coolest. This is one of the greatest verses of the whole Bible. Jonah chapter 3, verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. Are you amazed by that? Are you humbled by that? I mean, guys, that that should bring us, every one of us, to our knees. Every one of us, you know, when we really think about that, that here in our rebellion, we kind of run away from God. We are Jonah. And yet, God sends a storm. He sends a fish. He spits, spits us up on dry land. 
And then he actually gives us opportunity to kind of go back to where he wanted us in the beginning. I mean, he could have said, look, you blew it. I got somebody else to be the prophet and to go to Nineveh. He could have got that frustration of, you just had one job, Jonah, and you blew it. But what grace, what mercy is there in Jonah chapter 3, verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. Guys, this is the story of the Bible. But please hear this. If you want to hear this philosophically, if you want to hear this, uh, I hope you hear this in the spirit this morning, but you can think about this in a lot of different ways. This is the difference of Christianity and every other known world religion that I know of. Okay, here's, the, here's the separating fact. Here's the se- separating foundation. Christianity, God pursues us. In world religion, you're pursuing God. In Christianity, God provides all the work that is needed for salvation. In religion, and every other world religion, you are pursuing God by your religious activity. Well, Bobby, that's quite the oversimplification. Call me up, email me, we'll, we'll have coffee. I promise you, look at any other world religion, and this is the basis of it. They may use the word God. They may even throw in their Christ. They may throw in a lot of things. But basically, that's what separates Christianity from every other world religion is that we see the nature of God is he's pursuing us in our rebellion. Every other world religion says, okay, if you want to get to God, here's how you get to God. You fast. You do this. You you do all these religious exercises. It's the big separator, guys. And here, this is the foundation of what we see there. Uh, Jonah chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. If that sounds pretty familiar, it's because it is. You go back to chapter 1, it's almost word for word, you know, what God told Jonah in in the first place. He says, basically, arise, go, and proclaim. By this time, when God carries, uh, God's call comes upon him, there's a difference in Jonah that was made possible by God's grace. It's not that just Jonah said, you know, this running from God is not really, really super smart. No, because of God's grace, because of a storm, because of a big fish, because of being spit up on dry land, there's a lot of things that has happened to mature Jonah's perception of God. Perhaps the hardest thing in the world to a family member, to a friend, is to watch them go through a, a very sinking, uh, a kind of, you know, they, they made their bed, now they have to lie in it. it. tears your heart out. And there's a part of you that says, well, you know, this is justice. And there's a part that says, that's my daughter, that's, that's, that's my son, that's, that's my mother, that's my father, that's my best friend. Here's the hope of the gospel, guys. God may use a storm. He may use a big fish. But he does that so that we might wake from our slumber and our rebellion and see who he is. Jonah woke up a little bit. I don't say that. We're going to find out next week that he kind of had a head message and he didn't have a heart message yet. And we're going to talk a lot about that next week. Because if you've been saying, man, I've been thinking about all these different people during this whole sermon series. 
And next week, and I shouldn't say this because nobody will come, but, but, but next week, it's, it's for you. If you haven't owned Jonah yet, I pray that you will own Jonah next week. Because there's a lot of us that got it in the head, and we haven't figured it out in the heart yet, guys. And that's what we're going to see. But as far right now, there is a change in Jonah by God's grace. Jonah chapter 1, verse 3, But God of uh, Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Jonah chapter 3, verse 3, So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh. We, we see this, you know, he rose to flee. Now he rose to be obedient. Did this obedience come because Jonah just is a good guy? No, by the grace of God, he's learned that he does not want to be apart from the presence of God. He's learned that he can trust God all because of the pursuit that God has placed upon his life. Now look at verse 4. God gives Jonah a second chance, and Jonah responds in obedience. Verse 4, Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, and here's the sermon. Don't you wish you were having this sermon this morning? Eight words in English, only five words in Hebrew. If you go back to the Hebrew, it's only five words. Yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. That was the sermon. Was heard that there was nothing bad about a short sermon. That nobody had ever heard a bad short sermon. And this was probably the best short sermon that you could ever imagine. Now, does it tell a whole bunch about Jesus Christ? Does it have a lot of different religion in it? Does it have a lot of, you know, layers? Does it have three points that all start with the letter C? No, I'm kind of disappointed in that, but it, but it doesn't. Say words, five in the Hebrew. Very simple. Jonah didn't even come up with this. This was something that God laid upon him. I want you to notice what happens there in verse 5. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. Let's linger here for a second. There's a whole bunch of really cool things about that, but we just highlight it. Maybe the, the most important part of verse 5 for, for application. The people of Nineveh did what? Believe Jonah? Believe God. Bobby, why do you, why do you point that out? Ha, have you ever had that burden for somebody, a family member, a friend, co-worker, and you're a man, how can I convince them that Jesus is the right way? You know, you think that, okay, maybe if I use this illustration, maybe if I can break it down, and we get so cute, and the, the heart is good. We really want them to know Christ, maybe with our own son or daughter. And we want them to turn to Christ. And so, you know, we're going, okay, how do I do this? How do I, maybe if I bring this tape from one of my favorite pastors and they listen to that. Because I, I tell you, I have no power in my words. There's no power in anybody else's words. Not even... Some of y'all are going to say, that's just sacrilege. Not even in Billy Graham's words. Okay? I mean, the greatest preacher of, of our era. If he's not preaching the word of God, there is no power. What changed hearts and minds here wasn't Jonah opened up with a cute little illustration. He showed some pictures that illustrated what it was like to be lost and now to be found. No, he preached the word of the God, uh, the word that God gave him in its simplicity, guys. And what did the people believe? They believed God. I mean, even the message, he didn't have to come up with a sermon. He wasn't up late Saturday night going, man, what do I preach tomorrow? 
He goes and he's faithful and God gives him an eight word, five in the Hebrew. He preaches that and the people have a change of heart and mind. And they repent and they turn to God. That should give hope to every person in here this morning that has ever had the burden of a friend, a family member, somebody that you work with that you just want to know Christ. That should free you up, not from the responsibility of telling, but, but trying to be cute or trying to have all the answers. No, you just go and you tell them about God. God will represent himself well. Don't worry about your words as long as it's the word of God. Actually, that's kind of what's happened in our culture a lot, guys. Especially when it comes to kind of preaching about sin. There's a lot of people that talk about the love of God and the grace of God. And yet when we leave off the sinfulness of man, if we don't paint this whole picture that's up there, if we just said, okay, here's what's happened. You know, Christ came and he died for you and you can have a great life with him. That, that's good, but if we don't see the need to be saved, we don't know the name, the need of a Savior. How tragic it is that, that we've turned some pulpits into places that we just don't want to identify sin. I, I realize, man, when, when the Word, that's why we preach from the Word. We go through books and we do different things like that. So it's not like, man, Bobby's really upset today because he preached all about this. No, if that's what the Word says, we will preach it. If it's a chapter about just the grace and the love of God, we will preach it. We're just going to preach the Word. And God's going to cover it for us. So oftentimes we see that we kind of have a turn in our culture away from that. And we want the sweet Jesus. We want the nice Jesus. We want the really cool Jesus. But what we need is the saving Jesus. Okay, guys? Now, that doesn't mean that... I mean, I grew up in fire brimstone. I, I mean, week after week after week. There was no doubt how bad I was because I heard it every week. <laughs> and it was fresh in my mind. And, and back in my day at my little church, I needed to hear about the grace of God and the love of God. I heard about all how bad I was. That's the full balance. And now we've kind of went the other way, but what we need is the full balance. We need our dilemma so that we see that God has given an appropriate answer. Now let's put this into personal application. The last thing that I need from you when I'm in my sin is agreement. The last thing I need is somebody just to be my friend, somebody to soften this tragedy of my sin. What I need when I'm in the midst of my my sin is, is the truth of God's love. Here's the thing. When you confront somebody when they're in the midst of walking in rebellion, in sin, you you do that to me, I may reject you, I may hate you, I might fight you, but I need you. So we can't get scared from telling people in truth and love, truth and love, not just truth and not just love, truth and love, the whole balance of the gospel. Because the last thing I need in the midst of my sin is what? For you to either get afraid to tell me that you're going to offend. No, what I need is somebody that comes with the eternal hope of Christ. It says, Bobby, I love you, but I see this pattern in your life, and I'm concerned about you, and I know that there's hope in Christ, and I know that there's hope in the gospel. 
So it's not just hellfire and damnation, guys. It's not just the grace of God, and God is so good. Let's sing Amazing Grace for the 40th time. That's the whole story of the gospel. And we see that whole story come out in Jonah's life. We see rebellion, but we see a pursuing God, and, and he brings about the second chance. Look what happens in verse 6. What's the first two words? What do you think, whose word? That's where now Jonah's saying it. But it's, this is the word of God. So the word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself in sackcloth. What that means, this was an ancient thing that they did to show repentance. They would get down on their knees, and they would take actually ashes and sackcloth. Uh, think burlap. Think of burlap underwear. Yeah. Kind of got you moving in the seat now. Can you imagine how bad that would be? But that's what sackcloth, it was supposed to be itchy. It was supposed to be irritable. It was supposed to be that way. Why? Because you were in repentance. You were going, okay, God, I don't want to be comfortable in the midst of my sin. So part of their sign of repentance was that they would cover themselves in these ashes and in sackcloth, this itchy burlap, so that they would not be comfortable. This king does this. One of my favorite preachers is Alistair Begg. And he painted this beautiful illustration here. He said, you know, notice that the king changed his position. He went from the throne to the floor, and he changed his clothes. He went from royal robes to rags. Folks, as hard as that is to see in the lives of our friends and our loved ones, it is a necessary kind of uh, journey to go where we get off the throne room of ourselves that we've got it all figured out. If you don't have teenagers yet, one of the harshest realities of, of having teenagers is that age when they say, I've got it all figured out. Thanks for the thanks. And some of y'all have preschoolers that think that they already have it all figured out. And you're going, okay, if, if she's this way at five, I can't imagine 15. And you're right, you can't. <laughs> you really can't. I mean, it's just one of those things. It's, it can be difficult. It can be challenging. Folks, as hard as this is to watch, as hard as this is to be, to go from the throne of our own self-importance, of our own self-righteousness, to a place where we are bowing down, to go from what we think is perfectly fine in our own royal robes of comfort to a place where we're in actual repentance and say, God, thank you that you made me uncomfortable in the midst of my sin because I don't want to stay here. I don't want to linger here. That's a loving God. That is not a hateful God. That is a loving God. Or it would be a hateful God if he said, okay, do this. Uh, that wasn't quite enough. You wailed, Ricky, but you didn't well enough, you know. The answer was to well for 24 hours, and you did 23 hours and 59 minutes. Ricky, you were so close. It is And now, in simple faith, childlike faith, we come off the throne room of our own heart, and we come place and in the midst of all this discomfort, and we cry out and say, God, you are God. This is our hope. This is our message. This is why we're family this morning, instead of just a gathering talking about philosophy. 
This is what separates Christianity from every other world religion. Jonah chapter 3, verse 9. What we see is a change in this, not only the actions, but we actually see a change in this king's heart. Look what he says in verse 9. He says, who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. Now, do you see a sense of entitlement there? Do you see a sense of, okay, if we do this, God owes me. Now, he understands the holiness of God. He sees where he is, and he sees that God has now given him this proclamation, and he repents of it, that is, that he changes his mind and his actions and his heart about this, and he says, oh, we deserve nothing. If God does nothing here, it's not that he's a bad God, that he's not a kind God. Who knows? Maybe he will relent. Verse 10. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said that he would do them, and he did not do it. It's a chapter of hope, guys. It's a chapter of hope, first and foremost, of all of us. This is our story. If you're here this morning and you're a Christian, this is your story. Change the name. Change the place. Change a couple of the identities. This is your story. If you are a Christian this morning, this is your story. When you were yet without hope, God provided a lamb. He provided a Savior. He provided one where you could not pay for your sins, one that would pay and complete all your sins. But this is also the hope for those friends, those family members, those co-workers, all those people you go to school with, or whoever it is, your neighbor, that you've been trying to witness to, you've been trying to tell them more and more and more about the love of Christ. This is their hope. And this is your hope in sharing that story. Because you don't have to be all spectacular. You have to say, man, you know, come to church this Sunday. This is what we're doing. You know, the pastor is going to jump out of a, you know, going to be fired out of a cannon this week. You know? I'm not saying that we don't do some crazy things. My goodness, putting Jeff in an astronaut outfit. You know, that's, that's pretty cool. But if that's all we did was just kind of be silly and funny and, and all that, and it didn't have a point, it didn't have a foundation, then, then we are the, we're hateful to you because we've given you hope in something that attracts the eye and the mind and the heart but doesn't change your life, doesn't give you hope. This is our hope. Folks, that's our hope. Christ is our hope. And hundreds of years before Christ comes in the form of that little baby, God, in his mercy and his grace, in his holiness, he tells us a story that really happened. It's not a parable. He uses a man like Jonah to say, here's a story that happened in time, but I'm going to send a Savior for all time. This is our hope. If you're a place in your life right now where there's somebody and you just say, you just had one job. Could you not just get this one thing right? There's hope. If you are here this morning and you had just one job and you blew it, here is your hope. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for Christ. We thank you that even though we are hundreds of years in the Old Testament, Father, away from the actual birth of Christ, Father, 
we see that you're already given us this story, the hope of the gospel. Father, I don't know how many times I have been frustrated with a person in the midst of their rebellion. And I have cried out, maybe not with those words, you just had one job. And yet, Father, the feeling in my heart was one of judgment. It was one of superiority. It was one of, you know, how could you be so dumb? And yet, Father, as I read through this this morning, that is me. I am Jonah. But by your grace and your mercy, you lifted me out of the angry seas. And you gave me life eternal, life everlasting. Father, bring that hope to someone this morning. Somebody who is over, just overwhelmed with the weight of, you just had just one job. And they're so frustrated. They're so mad. They're so angry. There are so many different emotions. Father, bring them to a place where they have hope for this family member, a loved one, a neighbor, a friend. And Father, if someone's here this morning, and they just they, they see religion. They hear all of this, and all they hear is religious activity. Father, I, I pray that you would give them clarity this morning. That they would see that Christ and Christ alone, not religious activity, not morality, not any of these other things, not church attendance. Father, you've already answered our sin debt in full in Christ Jesus. So, Father, help us to see that we were in the midst. Our friends, they're in the midst of angry waves. But you're still the same God, hundreds and hundreds of years later, that lift us up out of angry waves. Your love, your grace, your holiness. And we thank you. And we proclaim, Father, that you are holy and loving God this morning. Thank you as we pray all this in the name of the one that made it possible, Christ our Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.com dot corner dash stone dot org or find us on Facebook.